Good to see all your happy faces. Good morning to those who are uh, worshiping with us online. Um, you know, I was thinking this morning, this is, it's, I don't know how many months it's been since I've gotten to take the drive out to Legacy and then back out in town. And I was thinking of those words of the psalmist when he said, I was happy when, my, when they said unto me, let us go up into the house of the Lord. And uh, it is so good to be with you in worship. I know some of us are in the house of the Lord in our own living rooms and good to worship with you as well. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, I want to pay you a particular welcome. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just a joy and an honor and a privilege to, to be worshiping Jesus with you today. Um, we are, as you know, knee-deep in this, this series on John's Gospel. And uh, this morning we're going to open up to chapter 6. Chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 to 15. And uh, I promise you, you've heard of this one before. Uh, this is the, one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. It is the moment that Jesus took a couple of loaves and a few fish and did something miraculous with them. Um, so let's listen to God's Word uh, this morning. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Hear now the Word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his other disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing might be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Friends, this the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I've got a random question for you this morning. Anyone own a pet rock? <laughs> Told you it was random. You know me by now. I'm going somewhere with this. In 1975, a man named Gary Dahl was having dinner with some of his friends. And somewhere in the midst of the meal, the topic turned into a gripe session about how difficult raising a pet really is. Just take puppies, for example. You, you know, we know they're cute, and yet puppies are, are known for chewing on our shoes and our furniture. They'll destroy your house. They wake you up at all hours of the night. They leave presents in places they shouldn't belong. We typically underestimate the work it takes just to raise a pet. And somewhere in this tirade, though, Gary joked to his table of guests that what we really need is a pet rock. And somehow the joke landed. Gary recruited two investors at that table. And with just pennies, they started the Pet Rock Company. Gary bought all of his stones at the local quarry at just one cent per rock. And that Christmas, the Pet Rock was born. Within months, they had 1.5 million rocks sold to the masses. 
sold at $3.95 a rock. Dahl was a multimillionaire. Newsweek called this the most ridiculously successful marketing campaign ever known. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? Who takes that kind of a pitch seriously? Like if he would have been on Shark Tank, he'd have been kicked out the door. It's the kind of idea that a five-year-old would come up with. You know, at five years old, we are used to ignoring the barriers in front of us, the ridiculousness of our ideas. We pretend that we're Peter Pan and we can fly. And we leap off the bed with great hopes and expectations. Ask a child and they'll tell you, I want to be the first to land on Mars. I want to be the scientist to eliminate cancer. I want to be a pro football player, a princess, a president. And yet life then has a way of sifting all of our dreams into disappointments, doesn't it? And it's not long before you realize you can't fly like Peter Pan and gravity hurts. Slowly we lose our innocence and we become more guarded. We learn to weigh out the possibilities before us and if the odds are looking grim, there's no way we're chasing that path. Really, what adult invests in something as crazy as a pet rock? Let me ask you this. At what point in your life did you quit aiming for the moon? When did you settle in for the nearby star instead? Our lesson this morning is anything but a gimmick or a clever marketing scheme. Thousands of people are making their way to Jesus and his disciples. They're coming in hungry. And someone needs to feed them. The only problem is that this crowd is in the middle of nowhere. Even if they could find food nearby, how are you going to feed 5,000 plus people? Let me just show you a picture, a real relevant picture this week. That would be the migrants, our Honduran migrants coming for America. They said it measured about 5,000 people in that picture. How do a few disciples feed that kind of a frenzy? Now, don't worry. Christ has five loaves and two fish. It's all good. You know, sometimes I feel for the disciples like we poke fun at them all the time, and yet if we didn't have the hindsight, this is an impossible equation. Five plus two equals 5,000. That math doesn't add. Frankly, the odds are much higher with the Pet Rock Company. And yet this miracle and the lesson that it brings is so important to our faith, it's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they want to know, they want us to know all about it. We're told this miracle took place during the festival of the Passover celebration. In John's Gospel, this is the third time now that Jesus has interrupted that holiday. You'll remember the Passover was an annual feast. They called it the Festival of Freedom. The holiday marks the moment that God took an impossible equation in Israel's history and brought about salvation. Back in the book of Exodus, the Pharaoh of Egypt had enslaved all of God's people, thousands of them. The situation was dire and the odds were against Israel 10 to 1. God comes to this man named Moses in the burning bush. And on this holy ground, God tells Moses, remove your sandals you're going to be the one to deliver my people to freedom. There's one major problem with that, wasn't there? Moses had been on the run for murder for 40 years. You can't go back to the land where you're being held up for such a high crime. Moses the convict, there's no way. In fact, he told God, no, he said, I'm the wrong guy. This is impossible. I have no eloquence. I'm not a public speaker. No one's going to follow me anyway. Remember God's response? He said, here's a miraculous staff, and here's your brother Aaron. He'll go with you. 
God moved anyway. Moses led the people to freedom in the midst of plagues and miracles. And from that point on, the Passover festival was a celebration of God's power and the might. And yet it's now on this day of this great festival that Jesus looks up to this crowd of followers as far as the eye can see walking towards him and his disciples are dumbfounded how they're going to care for such an overwhelming predicament. Look at this in verse 2. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus had become a spectacle for this crowd. They were following him in mass, not out of obedience, but out of curiosity and optimism. These people had already seen Christ do the impossible, and, and there was this notable hope in the crowd that maybe, just maybe, he'll do it again. And as this caravan now makes their way around the sea, Jesus asks his disciples the famous question. Look at this in verse 5. Where will we buy bread that these people might eat? I mean, what kind of question is that? That's a pet rock kind of question. Buy bread for 5,000 people in the middle of nowhere. That's not going to work. But as our scripture tells us, Jesus wasn't looking for a solution. He already had one. He just asked a question to test his disciples' faith. Reminds me of a story of a man once crossing a desert in in the pioneer days. He had gotten way off course, and somewhere in the heat of the day, he ran out of water. He and his horses were desperate. But as luck would have it, they ran into a water pump near this abandoned old shack. And just below the pump, there stood this old rusted out canteen filled with water and a note. Listen to what it said. It said, there's just enough water in this jug to prime the pump. Pour it out on top and begin pumping immediately and your water will be endless. But if you drink from anything in the jug beforehand, you'll have far too little water for your primer and your pump will produce nothing. What's a man dying of thirst to do? Drink from the jug or trust the note? I mean, really, faith is a curious thing, isn't it? Even just this morning, we stepped in it before we even got to church. You drive down that two-lane road and the driver coming at you 60 miles per hour, you have faith they're going to stay on their side, don't we? We put our faith in doctors as they order us drugs that we've never heard of before or can't even pronounce. We have faith that tomorrow when we walk into the grocery store, there'll still be a store full of food with abundance for the week. And all the scenarios come with pretty good odds, so they're easy to trust in. And yet when the odds are against you as humans, we're fickle, we're flaky, because we're conditioned to assess the probability, and if the odds are against us, forget it. Just look at how Philip and Andrew respond to this question. Verse 7, Philip says this. He says, 200 denarii won't even buy samples for this crowd, let alone a meal. All he can see is money. 200 denarii was about eight months of wages. You have to wonder, how did he come up with that number? Maybe the disciples all had that amount in in their banks. Maybe they had that cash on hand. But Philip knows there's no way this won't even buy a little. And Andrew, his imagination isn't any better. Look at this in verse 9. He sees this young boy holding five barley loaves and two fish, but at this point it's almost gotten sarcastic. It's ridiculous. Look at this. He says, what are they for so many? How many times has God asked something of us, and with little faith we wonder if he's actually going to come through? And what would it take for us to be set free from our fears and our failures and our hesitations and just trust him with the calling that he's placed in our lives? Did you know this, this wasn't even the first time that this miracle had went down? Look at this in 2 Kings 
chapter 4. A man from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he said to him, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before him and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. You see it? This is what God does. He, he delights in taking the grain of faith and producing an abundance with it. Since the days of Moses and Elijah, time and time again, God is in the business of doing immeasurably more than we could even ask or think. But here's the catch. Every time he does so, nearly every time he does so, he asks his people, his church, his disciples to join him. Look at this back in our lesson this morning in verse 10. Jesus says, have the crowd sit over there in the grass. In Mark's account in chapter 6, 37, he's even more specific. Christ tells his disciples, here, you give them something to eat. Mark's gospel tells us they sat them in groups of hundreds and fifties, and the impossible equation is now transformed into a miracle. Really, what does it look like for us to walk by faith and not by the things we see? Notice the detail here. Look in verse 11. Verse 11 tells us the people then ate as much as they wanted. The story begins with a couple hundred denarii, five loaves, and two fish. It really begins with scarcity. And it ends with an abundance no one even saw coming. The leftovers are more lavish than the provisions the disciples had to begin with. Twelve baskets overflowing with bread. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of the things we don't see. What if we came up with the most ridiculous dream together this morning? And what if we watched God do something miraculous with it? It can't be a pet rock, okay? That one's already taken. No, but really, what would it look like for us to step out in faith with what we have, the little that we have, so that only God would get the glory when he comes through? I don't know specifically what it might be, but you've got to know as we ordain and install our elders today, we're dreaming. We've said we want to be a church to call home, right? Let's think big, like 5,000 people big. What is it? Is it a low-income daycare? An in-house soup kitchen? a housing program, a play gym for kids during the day, an after-school program for teens, respite care for the elderly and their caregivers? What is it that God might be asking us to do as a community in faith to step out in him? You know, last year we went through a season of revisioning, right? And we came up with this, this new idea that, that God had given us to, to go after our neighbors and, and be in relational community together and be authentic in our faith. And this year, in fact, Monday night, we're now initiating our elders a new structure that we're laying over that vision for Spring Hill. And then we're ready to go. But before we put all the emphasis on the church, first ask yourself this question. What does it look like in your own life right now to step out in faith for Jesus? What is the dream that you've set aside for another day because the probabilities just didn't work out in your favor? I mean, the crowds are right there, right? Scripture says Jesus looked up and there was this hopeful and curious people coming to him. 
The question for us is who will feed them? Who will meet the needs? I don't know, Lord. I've added it up. I just don't have time. I don't have resources. I already tried it once. It doesn't equate. It's just not in the cards. No, see, Jesus says, what do you have? Let's start there. A few denarii, a handful of bread, a couple of fish, that'll do. Yeah, it seems to me God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. You own a business? How can you leverage it for Christ? You have a kitchen in your home and you're a pretty good cook. Who needs a meal? You have extra time in your week. Who is it that needs us to serve them? You have an abundance of resources. How can you give back? But think about that. All that's thinking really, really small. The God we serve took a few grains and fed 5,000 people plus. One of my favorite games to play in youth group is uh, growing up was the bigger and better scavenger hunt. Anybody ever play that game? Okay, here's how this works if you don't know. You knock on a stranger's door and you hold up a plastic spoon and you say, can you trade me for something bigger or better than this? Then you go to the next person in line somewhere in the neighborhood and then you trade them for what the first person gave with the, the same sign, right? I kid you not, one year in youth group, we ended up with a used car. <laughs> Donated to the local mission. No, see, whatever resources we have, we use them for God's glory, right? If you're a follower of Christ, God is going to do something in your life to take you outside of your comfort zone. I guarantee it. Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Those aren't comfortable things. He's going to ask us to do something where, where there's no way we would have pulled that off on our own. Where the only way that it's going to happen is if God moves. And God loves to do this because then only God gets the glory. Every day we have the same choice, right? We can step into the fray and lead the feeding frenzy. Or we can sit on the sidelines and pretend it never could have happened anyway. About once a week in my house, we throw a dance party. And uh, the rules are really simple. Step one, you have to wear some kind of a crazy outfit. The girls are always wearing like two or three skirts stacked up on top of each other. And second, you've got to bring a stuffed animal with you to the party to swing your partner around like dad does with the girls. One of my favorite workouts is swinging and tossing the girls up and down as we dance. And I hang them upside down from their feet and toss them left to right, put them up on my shoulders, spin round and round. And it's always struck me how in the craziness, the girls don't get scared. You ever notice that with your kids? It's a roller coaster ride, right? Somehow they trust that I'm not going to drop them. They have no idea how clumsy I am. And yet, even in the singing and the dancing and the tossing, without hesitation, they're overflowing with joy. And I feel like our faith should play out that same way, right? If Jesus promised to never leave or forsake us, what is it that we hesitate about? Christ told us, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, they, they know my voice. What's keeping us from following that voice? I love how the story ends. The crowds mistake Jesus for someone he's not. Right? They want to make him a military uh, dictator to overthrow Rome. And his disciples, they're perplexed about what's just went down. They're still trying to figure it out. But in the midst of all the chaos of the thousand people eating in the leftover loaves, we're told Jesus withdraws to a mountain by himself. He goes there to pray. 
to go be with the Father, to, to try to gain clarity on what it means to bring glory to his name. I've always been fascinated by that. If God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, has to step out to go make time for his relationship with the Father, if Jesus did it, how much more should we? So here's my challenge this week. What if we ask God where we've been holding back and following him? What if we found that quiet place to be with the Lord, not for five minutes, but maybe even for 45 or an hour? What if we took that time to ask God, where have I thought too little of you, Lord? Where have I hesitated in doubt? What dream are you asking me to dream alongside you? What is the call you placed in my life? I love Mark's account of the story. Jesus asked the disciples, how many loaves do you have? So they count them up. And just five loaves and we found two fish. Jesus said, that'll do. And then he sat 5,000 people in the green grass, Mark says, and all who ate were satisfied. Let's ask God to show us that kind of a dream as we continue to live for him. Let's pray. Will you pray with me? God, I just pray for each of us in this room, Lord, that you would multiply the faith in us. God, that this week you would uh, take us out of the mindset of thinking about our, ourselves, but that we would think of you. Lord, and that when we, when we hear from you, when we, when we hear uh, you leading us by your word and by your nudge to do something that's outside the box, God, would you help us not to run away from it, but to lean into it? God, we want to pray for this church, Lord, that as we continue to think about what it means to be a church to call home, what it means to build authentic community in Christ, Lord, would you help us to dream God-sized dreams? God, we confess we often come to you with a few loaves and some fish, and we wonder, how are we going to pull this off? And yet we know that when it comes to our salvation and the good news, Lord, you make a way where there was no way. So God, forgive us. We confess our selfishness. We confess our shortcomings. Lord, when we ask this morning, would you dust us off, pick us up, and lead us on. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.